My name is Justin Jordan. As the lead minister of Real Life, I want to welcome you this morning if you're new. And I just want to say how excited I am that we are continuing our sermon series on habits that we started last week. It's good to be back together uh, physically. Uh, It was nice to to take a break uh, through the holidays and allow us to recharge um, as a church family uh, and to connect to His Word last week. But there's nothing better than than being in person. And so I'm excited about this sermon series. I believe this sermon series has the ability to change the trajectory of your life in 2023. And I just want to review with you this idea of habits. Every single year around this time, we start talking about habits, thinking about new habits to maybe start. Um, some of you started thinking about this two months ago, a month ago. What does 2023 look like? Some of you started thinking about it this week because it just is finally here, 2023. Some of you have already said, I'm not doing anything different in 2023. I don't do the new habits, the new goals, the new things. And maybe it's because there's a little bit of you that has become a little bit cynical when it comes to that idea or that mindset because nothing really ever changes before. And I would hope that maybe, just maybe, you would have a little bit of hope about maybe something changing that you want changed, that the Lord wants changing in your life and that you'd be willing to maybe battle that cynicism that maybe has crept into your mind and in your heart. And that as we take a look at the cynicism in our heart, if we take a look at maybe hope, and we think about maybe what God wants for us, we begin to maybe step into something new that God has for us, something that's, that's of Him, that He desires and He wants. But as we talked about last week, habits are something that um, I've discovered are kind of like icebergs. And what I mean by that is we know when it comes to icebergs that we only see about 20% of the iceberg um, above the surface, that the rest of the iceberg, 80% of it is below the water. And so you'll hear a phrase common that says, that's just the tip of the iceberg because the majority of it sits underneath water. Well, that's true with habits as well. What I mean by that is when it comes to our habits, it it may be habits that are in private or in public, but the reality is those habits that are in private or public are actually built upon a lot of other things that go on below the surface. Belief systems, whether they're healthy or unhealthy, mindset, uh, emotions, all sorts of things that actually lead to us actually doing something and doing something over and over and over again. And so what we talked about last week is would you be willing to ask yourself this year, what are the habits that God wants for me? And are they actually rooted in this, one, in this first step? Me fearing and honoring and reverence and awe to the Lord. That's step one. Do we have fear and reverence to God about what he wants for my life in 2023? And we talked about fear of the Lord. That is the beginning of wisdom. The wisdom in my life starts with Jesus and it starts with the Lord and so am I willing to fear and honor him with my life and so what does he want for my life 2023 the big question for today as we talk about week two in regards to habits is this have you ever thought about this why do you often fail at the goals and habits you want to accomplish in a life that partners with God I want to ask that question again Why do you often fail at the goals and habits you want to accomplish in a life that partners with God? And I can tell you right now, a lot of you are already filling in the blank of that question. And whatever you fill in the blank with that question says a lot about what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself. I believe that question, why do I often fail? And our answer sends a trajectory for our life and how we live moving forward. Let me ask another question that's very similar, but different. 
little bit weightier in regards to the same exact topic that we're talking about today. What is the world's fundamental problem? What is the world's fundamental problem? Today we're going to wrestle with that question, those questions today. And we're going to wrestle with them from 2 Corinthians, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Everybody say Corinth this morning. He started this church in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. And as he started this church, he then leaves and continues to start other churches. But he gets a report that things aren't going well at the church. There's a lot of things that are happening. But as he writes uh, 1 Corinthians, he starts to address these things that need to be looked at and, and focused on. And honestly, fixed and actually addressed when it comes to the church and, and godly living. And one of the things that he also does is not only does he write a letter to, first, uh, to the church in Corinth, which is 1 Corinthians, but he actually goes and visits with them and he sees them face to face. And he works through a lot of relational conflict between him and the rest of the church. One of the things that's going on is they are rejecting Paul as a leader. They are rejecting him as an apostle. They are rejecting him when it comes to his authority in their life. And he's rejecting them on a couple different things. He reje they reject him because he's consistently poor. If you were God's chosen vessel, wouldn't you be successful? Wouldn't you have a lot of fame and a lot of fortune and a lot of money? Wouldn't you be rich? In addition to that, you live really like simply. And in fact, not only that, you don't even have enough money for the churches to support you. And so in order for you to pay for your bills, you are a tent maker. Like you're a bivocational pastor. You, you work to support yourself and you get a little bit from the church, but sometimes you don't. And so in their mind, they're thinking, if you were really God's chosen vessel, you would have all these things lining up for you. You are constantly persecuted, Paul. You're constantly suffering. You're even homeless at times. And not only that, you're not a great public speaker. You're not even a good preacher. So these are the things, the accusations that are being leveled against Paul about why he's not to be trusted, not to be listened to, why his authority is being questioned. They had a value system. Everybody say value system. They had a value system and an identity that they valued over Jesus's value system, over Paul's value system. And they began to place that value, that judgment on other people. As Paul is talking to them and addressing the conflict between him and the church, the majority of the church becomes reconciled back to Paul. But there's still critics remaining. The reason why is because anything worth doing usually involves critics. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he's actually writing to address these critics still and to reinforce the message with the people that have been reconciled back to him. So he continues to address the broken worldview. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. He says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Interesting statement. We just talked about it last week, right? There it is again. We know what it means to fear the Lord, to have reverence and awe to God, to submit our will to his, to, for him to decide what is right and what is wrong. We try now, Paul says, to persuade others. What, are, what we are is plain to God. I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those that, who take pride in what is seen 
rather than in what is in the heart. Do you, can you, you notice the differences, what he's saying? There are people that value the outward appearance. There's people that value a different system, but we value what God values. We value what God is plain, plainly seeing. We value what is actually in the heart because that's what God values. Then he goes on to say, if we are quote unquote out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's Love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And we died for all that those who should live should no longer live for themselves but for him, Jesus, who died for them and was raised again. And then verse 16. Verse 16 is really important. He says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. I love the way the NLT puts it. We just read from the NIV. The NLT says this. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. I want to ask you, as you step into 2023... Do you evaluate people from a human point of view? Do you evaluate people from a worldly point of view, as Paul would even say? Do you evaluate yourself from a human point of view? From a worldly viewpoint? Here's what Paul's saying to the church in Corinth, and I think he's speaking to us even today as we wrestle with this value system, is that you must change your value system if you want to walk in the new life that God has for you. You've got to change your value system. You've got to change what it is that you actually value. Is it going to be God and his word and things that he says about you, or is it going to be the things that the world says about you? Are you going to value the things that God's word says over you and speaks over you, or are you going to value the things that your friends say that are most important? Are you going to value the algorithm on social media that continues to feed you what you should value or are you going to value the things that God says about you? How do you evaluate yourself? Is it from a human point of view or from a godly point of view? I want you to notice verse 16 and 17 combined. 17 is where Paul gets to the heart of the matter. So from now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Say new creation this morning. Say it like you mean it. New creation. New creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And when you hear that, The new is here. We have to hear that with the reality that the world doesn't understand. Christians don't understand who you are. What is the world's fundamental problem? You don't know who you are. The Bible says that you are a new creation, that you are a new human, that you are a new son, that you are a new daughter. You are a child of God. Amen? And when you understand who you are, it changes the way you live. 
It changes the way you see things. It changes your ability to, so, to say, I'm going to not do that, but I am going to do this. Because God's voice, his love, his grace, his continual pursuit of me is better than anything else this world has to offer. And even though life gets difficult, even though life gets hard, God's voice, what he says about me, is what I'm going to be defined by. It is the value system from which I will live and operate from. If you want to start a new habit this year, you have to start with who you are. Who you are. And John, Jesus' closest disciple, I don't know if this was a worldly point of view he was trying to communicate or if he was telling the truth about what Jesus really thought about him, but he was kind of in competition with another disciple. Who was the other disciple he was in competition with? Peter. And he says, well, the one disciple whom Jesus loved the most, who's he talking about? Himself. I don't know whether he's thinking too highly of himself or he's just stating the fact but this is what he says about people that choose to live in the given identity that Jesus has given you. That he's given you a new identity, a new humanity, and you are a child of God. Jesus' own disciple, his closest disciple, verse 12, all who believed in him and have accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. A child of God. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Step one, you want to experience new life in Jesus this year? Fear and honor the Lord. Step two, decide that you are going to take hold of the identity that you are a child of God. Who am I? Who am I? Who are you? And every single morning you wake up and you say, this is who I am, rooted in Christ. And what he has to say for me in my mind and my heart is what matters most. Not what the world says, not what my own inner dialogue says. What I say about who I am or what I think I am or how I feel about who I am. But what he says about you. Even psychologists understand this reality that habits stick when you determine who before what. Everybody say who? Before what? Who before what? Let me give you an example. People that are trying to quit smoking, they will tell people, if you want to quit smoking and someone offers you a cigarette, that you don't say, um, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. Because when you say, no thanks, I'm trying to quit, you are identifying yourself as a smoker. But if you say, hey, no, I don't want the cigarette because I no longer smoke, you are identifying yourself as a non-smoker. Who before what? What does God want me to do? He wants me to do this. He wants me to do that. Or I believe God's calling me to start this new habit or do this new thing. Awesome. Do you know what's going to be rooted in? You understanding who you are in Jesus. You saying, this is who I am. This is the life that I'm called to live. And the Bible says this is how Jesus sees me. Therefore, I'm going to live in that way and trust that his word and his grace and his love, that it's enough. That what he says is enough. And so for you, how do you see yourself this morning? 
Who are you? A child of God. What does that mean? I just want to speak over some things over your life about what the Bible says about who you are in him. And I want you to think about the things that I just say over you that maybe in your notes you could just write down that statement because you resonate with that statement because maybe at the core of it, you recognize I don't really believe that, that I'm wrestling with that. And would you be willing to write it down? Maybe you need to pull out the notepad on the iPhone and type in that phrase or that statement and choose that it would be your statement this year in 2023 that you'd be rooting in the identity that God has given you. Or maybe you just need to say amen after you hear it. But I want you to know what the Bible says, you're a child of God. What does that mean? That you're alive in Christ, Romans says. That you are known even before you were born. You were, you were known by God even before you were born. That he knit you together in your mother's womb. That he made you special and unique. That there was no one else like you. That he looked at the world and he said, there's something missing from the world. I need to create this person. And it was you. He made you. And he knit you together in your mother's room that you are a saint. I was saying, I thought only the Catholic Church said certain people are certain saints. No. The whole Bible says that you are a saint. Well, don't I have to do a certain amount of things? Nope. It's been given to you by God. Well, I mess up. Yes, you do. Well, I sin. Yes, you do. But Jesus doesn't see you in your brokenness, he sees you as whole because of the blood of Jesus in your life. You are a saint. You are saved. You are blessed. You are chosen. You are reconciled. You are called. And you're not called just to be saved from something. You're saved for something. That pain that you've experienced in life, that wrestling that you've experienced in life, it's been given to you so that you can help others to bring glory and honor to Jesus. Do you believe that this morning? That this is who you are. You are heard by God. Well, I don't feel heard by God. I don't feel like he's close. I don't, I don't feel like he's hearing me. Just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's not true that he's not hearing you. The Bible says he will never leave you or forsake you. And whatever you're going through, whatever, however you've been tempted, the Bible says he's been tempted in every single way. But that he walked perfectly. He heard you. And here's the thing, I believe every single one of us in this room, in this community, in the world, deep down, wants to believe that. Wants to believe that. I think it's ingrained in us that God wants to hear from you. How do I know that? Why do I believe that? Because not only does the word of God say it, but in addition to that, I saw it played out this week. We actually all saw it played out this week. Damar Hamlin Damar Hamlin is an NFL football player, and if you didn't hear the story, Damar Hamlin, something happened this week we've never seen in the history of our era of watching football. And he, it, the reality is he died on the football field. What you don't know about Damar Hamlin is um, he has been raised by a father and mother that loves him and has pointed him to Jesus and this is what he said about who he is and about his family. He says, um, my faith is in God, so whatever he has planned for me, that'll be it. Whatever he has planned for me, that'll be it. As we watched Damar Hamlin collapse on the field, 
die and be resuscitated, taken off to an ambulance. What we then saw was something we've never seen before. Coaches stop the football game, gather their team together, both teams come together and actually pray together on a football field. I'm sure that there were people around there that don't claim to be a follower of Jesus, but they still got on their knee and they still prayed. Why? Because when devastation hits, when crisis hits, down in our bones, we go, Lord, I'm asking you to hear me in this moment. I'm asking you to hear my voice. I'm asking you to do something. It's ingrained in us to be heard. Why? Because you're a child of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. And then not only that, we see prayer go cascading through the rest of our country to even last night as we're watching the Jaguars and the Titans. What do they do before the game starts? They gather at midfield. And what do they do? They pray. Why? Because maybe, maybe God is using this horrible thing, what the enemy meant for evil, God is using it for good. And Damar Hamlin said, whatever God has for me, that'll be it. And God is saying, Damar, man, I know this is not gonna be fun for you, but I'm gonna use it. I'm gonna draw my children to me to help them remember who they are that they are a child of God. Not only does the Bible say that you are heard, in addition to that, it says you are Christ's ambassador, that you represent him, that you are gifted, you are forgiven, you're not alone, that you're adopted, that you are loved, that you are a masterpiece, the Bible says, that you are a new creation, that you are a conqueror, and that even more so than that, you are a conqueror. You are free, you are the light of the world, and you are unashamed of the gospel, which enables you to stand before Jesus and the world and say, I'm a Christian, and I believe in prayer. And to do what Dan Orlovsky did, a former NFL quarterback in the middle of ESPN his show he says everyone's talking about praying we watch them pray guess what we're not going to just talk about it we're going to do it right now live on television and he stands up and says Lord will you heal Damar Lord will you hear us Lord will you hear our cries and he cries on he prays on national television why why would Dan do that He's unashamed of the gospel. Why? Because he's a child of God. He understands he's a son of God. What does it look like for you this year to recognize who you are and what the Bible says about you and what he's speaking over you over and over and over and over again? What would it look like for you spent 2023 just saying, you know what, I need to figure out who I am and what the Bible says about me, and that I would just not read it and understand it, but it would be rooted in my heart, and it actually changed the way I live. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old, the old, it's gone. The new, it's come. And I am new. You are new. We're all new in him. The reality is, is that your results are a byproduct of your habits. And your habits are a byproduct of your belief system. And your belief system is a byproduct of what you value. So if you want to evaluate what habits you have, would you be willing to just dive deeper and go, why do I do that? What do I believe about myself? What do I believe about others? And am I willing to trust what God has to say about that topic, that situation, that subject, and wrestle with it? And would you be willing to start allowing God's word to speak over your heart and your mind and to begin to trust it? Not only trust it, begin, begin to get really specific about the implications of that truth. And so for me in my life, how this is playing out is there have been times, seasons over the last probably three, four, five years where I've been wrestling with the idea of actually having personal declarations over my life and something that I come back to every single day. And when I first thought about this idea about having declarations over my life, I thought about this guy from SNL. Anybody remember this guy? <laughs> Stuart Smalley. For those of you guys that are younger, would look himself in the mirror every single show on SNL that he had, and he would say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. I go, that's dumb, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. But then I started thinking about why? Why, why am I resistant to that? And the reason why I was resistant to it is because I thought it was weak. And I'm like, I'm not gonna be weak. I'm a man. But then I started thinking about if I were to do it, what would I actually say? And is it actually weak? Because the things that I'm saying are actually the things that are rooted in God's goodness and what he wants for me. And I began to realize I gotta be willing to trust that. And if the things that I write down become true, would it bring glory and honor to God and would it be a life full of him and a life fulfilled? And the answer was yes. So I started trying it. And there are seasons where I do this rarely. There's seasons where I quit. But God's got me back in a season of saying this every day. Because this is who I am. This is what I want to become. For Jesus and his glory, his mission, his people. So every day I've been saying these statements. Jesus is first in my life. I exist to serve and glorify him.
I love my wife and will love and lead her to Jesus. I will lay down my life to serve her. I will disciple my children and point them to Jesus every day through his word, his spirit, and by my modeling to them a love for Jesus. I love people, and I believe the best about others. I am disciplined. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. I am growing closer to Jesus every day. And because of Christ, my family is closer. My body is stronger. My faith is deeper. My leadership is sharper. I am anointed, empowered, equipped, and called to reach people far from God. I am creative, innovative, driven, focused, and blessed beyond measure because the Holy Spirit dwells within me. I develop leaders. That's not something I do. It's who I am. I wake up every morning with purpose, direction, and meaning every day of my life. Pain is my friend. I rejoice in suffering because Christ suffered for me. The world will be different and better because I served Jesus today. What do you allow God to speak over your life? What do you allow yourself to speak over your life? What is your identity rooted in? And are you willing in 2023 to go to war with the enemy? Go to war with the inner dialogue that is the lies that the enemy tells you that his way is better, more fulfilling, more gratifying. And it is for the short term, but not for the long term. Because the enemy's ways always lead to death. And so what would it look like for you to say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out who I am, who God says I am. And I'm gonna lean into that with everything I've got in 2023. How would your life be different? Where would you be a year from now? What would God do in you? How he would change you, your family, your work, your community, your neighborhood for Jesus' glory. As we get ready for communion this morning, I just want you to think about a couple next steps. And if you weren't prepared to take communion this morning and you would like to take communion, if you didn't grab the almonds, just keep your hands raised and these amazing people would love to serve you and give you a piece of bread and a cup of juice that represents Jesus' body and blood. I just want you to think about these things as we get ready for communion. Some of you, it's time for you to put a stake in the ground and say, Jesus is my Lord and he's my savior and I need to be baptized into him. Baptism is a simple picture of someone who said, I've, I've surrendered my life to Christ. And it's actually a picture of you saying no to the old life, to the old clothes, saying no to death and being resurrected with new clothes, new life, and start as a new person. That's all that baptism is. It's where you partner yourself in relationship to Jesus, where you say, he died, and so I die. But he just didn't stay dead. He resurrected as a new person, and I am new with him. And some of you have never been baptized, and that's your next step for 2023, to capture the identity that God's given you. 
For some of you, it's, it's flooding your mind and your heart with the God's word about who you are, meditating, memorizing. Some of you, it's personal declarations of going, okay, I've known that for a while, that that's who I am. I need to write that out about what that actually means every day. Every day. And some of you, it's time to be a part of the family of God. You might say, well, I'm coming to church on Sunday. Yeah, if you're coming to church on Sunday, that's a part of being a part of the family of God. But if you really want to be a part of a family, it means doing family stuff. <laughs> it means getting in a small group. It means living life with people. So that when the enemy comes, not if, when the enemy comes, when the storms come, they would reinforce your foundation about who you are. And you'll weather the storm. All for the glory of Jesus. Let's spend some time with Jesus as we get ready for communion this morning.